Hello and welcome to Stock Talk, a podcast series which brings together livestock specialists, vets and farmers to give you the tools you need to improve your business and embrace the future. Stock Talk is presented by myself, Robert Ramsey, and produced by Kirsten Blackwood as part of the Farm Advisory Service in association with the Scottish Government. So I'm joined today on Stock Talk by a, a bit of a, I suppose, a bit of a hero of mine, and it's certainly a voice that many people will know. Uh, so podcasting, we're all learning how to podcast, but certainly we've got, I think, the, the master of agricultural podcasting with us today is Michael Blanche. So Michael, how are you today? I am awesome, Robert. Good, good. Yeah, I just, uh, I mean, especially after that introduction. Well, I don't I like it's to... all lies, but just, I mean, keep on going. Well, I can't, I don't have any to big you up. <laughs> um, so for, for those people who are still listening, <laughs> um, Michael, do you want to tell us just a wee bit about Michael Blanche? I'm sure a lot of people will have heard of you, but what do you do? What's Michael Blanche all about? Oh, gosh, that's a, that's a big question. Um, what do you want to go? Deep psychologically, because that could get messy. Preferably not. <laughs> well, I am. Um, I I am getting on a bit. I am fifty four years old now, but uh, I I suppose how do I define myself? What's my identity, Robert? I don't know. I think um, I am a first generation farmer who started off with. Uh, yeah, I suppose a balance transfer from his credit card. Uh, and so basically less than nothing. And I've still got most of that left, which is, uh, you know, <laughs> but, you know, it's, uh, I suppose in my early 30s, I was working for SEC, the greatest organization of all time. Yeah, yeah. And a, I was working there and there's a slight frustration to it all. And I think since I was three years old, I wanted to farm. But since I was three years old, I was kind of put off the idea because it is quite hard without any capital or land or, you know, just starting out from not, from not very much. You know, that's it's a wee bit tricky. So I suppose in my early 30s, I, want, I decided that I was going to actually start having a few sheep. And that was... Um, that was a big step for me. So then I became, I came from being, I was a land agent, booth, and then I was an SEC advisor, and then I got some sheep, and I was still an SEC advisor, and then I left SEC uh, and went on my own as a consultant with the idea that my consultancy would see me through as I built up numbers of sheep and would get a tenancy quite quickly. And I would be a farmer full time and uh, live happily ever after. And so that that's basically. And then, of course, you kind of I don't know how other people feel, but during a career or during your life, you kind of meander and and find different things that interest you, things that you thought would be interesting, but weren't. And things you didn't think would be interesting but were so you you sort of meander and sort of like a pinball bounce off all these things and you eventually end up 
we're at a place where we've got a tenancy. Uh, we've taken on more land. Uh, we still haven't made enough to retire on. Uh, so we've got 12, 11, 12 seasons left to get that sorted. But I suppose I am a farmer, but it's always been a sort of a sort of inner fight with me because what is a farmer <laughs> and, and how what defines that when do I know I've got there you know because when you start with nothing when you start with I start with 50 sheep and so when do you stop becoming a consultant or whatever or someone else and actually become a farmer and that's always been a little bit of uh, a question mark for me but I think I am a farmer definitely that's a long answer it's an awesome answer actually and it, and it kind of highlights something do you know the best it, we have a, I have a lot of colleagues who are doing something similar to me where we're farming and we're consulting and that way that identity of what are we I think it actually makes us better at both jobs you know I think it keeps us on our toes things at home have to be efficient because you need to get away yeah so you, you have to focus on the things that are making money and not do the or do less of the stuff yeah that it's we weird. want to do. you know it focuses you down but equally when we go to work there's something that keeps us relevant there's something at home that i think the worst consultancy message i can give someone is i do this at home so you should do this but <laughs> an excellent message is I tried that. It didn't work, but now I do this. You know, there's, there's yes. conversations. And I, I think it's there's certainly many really good colleagues of mine that don't farm and are probably better consultants than me. But equally, there are plenty of us now that are ma- managing to balance both and I think are probably better for it. So yeah. so that, that kind of identity crisis, I don't think it, it's not a unique situation for you. And it's also something that's probably going to be more and more because there's more people heading off farm to, to you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of money that lies out with the farm gate. And if you can have a simple system at home, you know, I, I think we're over the next few years, we're going to see an awful lot more people yeah. struggling to keep all these plates in there. Yeah, Absolutely. It's funny, you did, I worked three days a week for three years for QMS whilst I was farming here. And I think my performance on the farm improved mm-hmm. <laughs> rather than me being there full time. And I don't know how that happened, but it's not necessarily time related to your performance, I don't think. And you're dead right. You just have to, you do have to just, it focuses the mind if you're doing something else. But mm-hmm. The work expands to fill the time available. Yes. yes. However, if there's not enough time, it, yeah, things can, be, things can be tricky. And there are pinch points. I suppose our problem, this is more me moaning rather than hosting a podcast, but our problem is the busiest point in both of both parts of my life Yes. It's the same two months in the year. So yeah. that April, May period, March, April, May, is wildly busy at work and is the busiest point at home. So Yeah, so how do you do that? Sleep deprivation, coffee. Um, <laughs> I don't, I'm lucky at home and we, we're, we're, Dad's still 
there and thereabouts. And they, you know, we've got a we do have a system that kind of kind of works, but it's certainly where the the conflict is. If we could move Ajax and other spring work, if you could move that into the autumn, yes, farming and consulting together would be pretty crazy. Well, did you respond to the consultation of the new subsidy? You should have put that in. It actually, I'm actually pleased to see I did. Um, and you know, it's a job we get handsomely rewarded for. You know, e- each of us that submits an IAX, you know, the, yeah, the return and basic payment is worth doing. And yeah. as a company, we, we make plenty of money out of that. So it, it, it's a necessary evil. But if we could just have that at a different time of year, it would uh, it'd be good. So, so Michael, you mentioned here, as in your farm, and I know your farm is called Trucker Farm outside Forgandenny, near Perth in Scotland. <laughs> I only know that from listening to the pasture pod. And I think it's really quite exciting to have a need to put what country you're in. That's that's That means you've made it big time. So that, yeah. that's exciting. Um, it's only for it, the English people. <laughs> um, so the pasture pod, what, for those that haven't heard it, so first of all, I would say if you haven't listen to the pasture pod we'll put a link to the, the pasture pod in the show notes here um because of some really really good stuff and probably i don't know whether it's a good host or whether it's, it's certainly a good list of speakers um yeah so i think this will you know, Robert. Let's i, I think it, it, you need both though you do need both <laughs> it's um where did it come from what is it and where did it come from well i mean I'm nervous because I know people that have started listening to it and switched off almost immediately. Because Is that the singing? Yes, I think yep. so. If you think sing your own theme tune and you can't really sing, <laughs> it's not a good start. So, yeah, so I suppose the pasture pod, um, I thought it was such, I, I think once, once you get into this sort of knowledge transfer, knowledge exchange thing, I'm not sure if you get into if that's sort of a behavior that you're sort of that becomes a pattern and you need to do it but in 2016 I had to plant loads of hedges on this farm uh, on my own and it was really dull and so I, I, I found these things called podcasts and they didn't necessarily uh, well there weren't any agricultural ones that I had listened to and uh but when I was listening to them, I thought, well, actually, you could, this is really a democratization of, you know, it's not a radio program, but it's, anyone can do these podcasts and you can throw it out into the internet and some people might listen. And um, so I thought it was a really good idea. And then, of course, uh, Will Evans uh, started his rock and roll farming and Ben Eagle did uh, Meet the Farmers, I think. Um, and so they kind of, so I, they sort of gave me a confidence that maybe I could do it as well. So we, I, I just basically interviewed my friends. <laughs> so that's, that's all I did. Uh, I sang, I, I did silly, I'm a silly person, I think. And I l- like to, um, I like to laugh and I like to have fun. What I think is fun, but I think uh, it was funny um I was speaking to someone at the Highland show and we'd just got this extra piece of land and he's a neighbor and he said he said uh, oh, you know it's really good well done good for you I mean uh, a lot of people that I speak to you know 
Michael might not be their cup of tea, but but I think you've done great, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously I'm not everyone's cup of tea, but I I, I do I like to have a little humor is such a powerful thing when you try to communicate something I feel and also keep listeners keep people listening if it's slightly weird it's not a bad thing and I've become as I've grown older I've more and more felt more comfortable about being weird and not everyone's cup of tea so there's this little introduction that I do and then we get on to interviewing my friends (laughs) <laughs> so, and it's much easier interviewing friends, I think, because you've all or you've all instantly got the rapport that you normally have. And so, I interviewed John Scott first of all, and we have I, I, I really have a great time with John, and we have a right laugh, you know. So, so, and then I interviewed more friends, and um, but they also happen to be really good farmers, I think, and so. Uh, and I really like getting into the nitty gritty of farming. I think like proper, <laughs> proper nausea sort of like detail, which I don't think you tend to get apart from stock talk and Phil <laughs> of the hill, but you don't tend to get that. You know, it's, <laughs> no, you sort of, you, you sort of, um, you know, it's uh, when I was, uh, when I was at a certain organization, the whole message was keep it simple, you know, very broad brush, no, hardly any detail because it loses listeners and loses an audience. But with a podcast, I could do what I wanted. And so some of these, some of these episodes are well over three hours. (laughs) But amazingly, some people listen. But that's the whole thing about farming. I think it's a different... uh, a different listenership because they're out doing work on the farm and actually sometimes the longer the better mm-hmm. you know yep. so I, I think I'm lucky that way because you can get away with longer ones when someone's in the tractor or someone's going around in the quad bike with the earphones on or something so uh, that's basically that is the gist it's a, just a weird mix of a talking dog theme tunes and some proper uh really interesting farming chat and some pretty talented kids too they should get <laughs> out too. <laughs> she's uh, well callum's very good but a uh, Karis, who's the youngest one she does a little ditty on the normal podcast she was i think 13 when she did that she's now 18 and cringes every time I, she hears it but yeah anyway it's awesome so with that you know let's nitty gritty what we don't hear when we do it in a pasture pod podcast is you get bits of your system and we, we hear roughly what happens but what is i quite like when you ask in numbers so in numbers what is michael blanche's farm <laughs> did you hear when i asked the huge farmer from Australia that question and he yes. wouldn't answer he wouldn't answer that's just pub talk <laughs> but and numbers is actually sadly very important to me not as it you know because when you when you're a first generation farmer that kind of defines how close you are to being a proper farmer but so at the moment at the moment we will have I think 90 cows to calve 
but that is not all mine. We might come to that. Uh, and there'll be 600 used to the top with hogs, which we don't put uh, to the top following that, following them. I did have a 1,000 Jews. We're very sheep heavy here. Um, I did have a, up to a 1,000 Jews with some cattle grazing from someone else uh, at one point, but I've seen the light and feel that a mixed system's probably the best way forward. Um, we're 500 acres here, half of which is sort of green hill, and half is actually, well, ranging from decent permanent pasture to a poorest, no, it's, no, it's not. It's, it's quite good permanent pasture to good permanent pasture. And I've got a reseeding program on the farm just below us. So, yeah, all grass, really, and some forage crop. And then we've taken, and then I look after 450 ewes next door. And we've taken on another 550 acres of a farm, two farms away from that farm. So uh, that's actually a big step. That's, But that is in conjunction with the person, my neighbour, who I contract the sheep for. It sounds like winding down towards retirement's not quite happening <laughs> yet. I was, I was doing, I was going to do that, Robert. And then I wasn't going to wind down. I just felt... I just felt that actually you're, and this is me talking to myself, like, a, you know, all the voices in my head. And they said, you know, I was, stop chasing numbers. Stop having a number that, you, you know, a number that you can tell someone else. Exactly the question you ask mm-hmm. is actually a, an interesting because that kind of drove me for a wee while. Well, if I've got a thousand Jews, then I can tell people I've got a thousand Jews. And that, you know, I don't know why I thought it's, but numbers are quite important when I remember just this Christmas, I was at a drinks party, you know, as you do. And the local uh, shepherd next door, we got into a conversation and it rapidly became who's got more sheep competition. Mm-hmm. And, I I, di- I really didn't like it at all, and um, I, I I just don't like that kind of conversation. But I'll have to get more sheep so I can beat him next drinks party. Then when I see him, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, or change the question. Ask enough questions. Do you get to the point that you realise that your a uh, lamb losses are less, or your you know we we don't well, talk about right. money. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, exactly. You've got to find the KPI. Your total carbon footprint, your total um, yeah. emissions from farming will be less than his because you don't have as much farming. Yeah, animals. I should do, I should really do a carbon that, audit. Yeah. <laughs> you, you should say it. Yes, oh God. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, the money part. And I think that's where probably your uh, Pasha Pod speakers, your friends are probably a bit more grown up, most of them, when it comes to actually what really matters and it's the same for regardless of what system what, what species we're running it's what we're left with it's ma- that matters you know it's these yeah it's the system that actually utilizing your farm resources as best you can to leave you as much profit at the end of the at the end of the day and what so you're very very grass focused at home yeah 
Just on that, Robert, that's really yeah. interesting, isn't it? That's, you hit, that's, you've hit something there because you know your pro, your net profit isn't isn't in the courier or you know the local paper mm-hmm. in the Mart reports. You know, it, there's a sort of it's not skewed at all because you know you're interested in what the market you know what, what who's talking the market and stuff but yeah that's just on the side but yeah very grass focused because when you and I'll you know we oh God, it sounds like uh, I've got the smallest violin ever eh but we didn't have very much money <laughs> so so that actually changes you know I've come to realize that everyone makes the right not the right or wrong decision based on their own circumstances and i was speaking to an irishman the other day and he of course came up with the age-old adage of when some a tourist stops in ireland and the irishman says well i wouldn't start from here you know asking for directions he said i wouldn't start from here but i i think it's just starting point isn't it and my starting point made absolute sense that I just go full bore and grass uh, because it grows out the ground whether you like it or not it's what you how you manage it dictates how much you can grow and what quality it is and I couldn't I don't think I think East Coast Viners <laughs> I don't well I, th- I I don't think I could afford to buy, have a system with very high inputs. And um, I actually quite like, you know, I quite like the simplicity of just doing it from grass because if if you have to take the feed to the stock, and it's, a, it's almost um, a wee bit of a trope now, isn't it? But if you take the feed to the, the stock... It adds complexity, it adds cost, and that's not what I want because we, we are very, you know, cat, I suppose we're looking at a, you know, a low cash business. So we don't have a huge, tremendous cash flow. So we can't really, we, I would prefer a system where we don't have to spend much money and still get an output. And of course, it's low input, low output. Uh, We're not getting the output others have, but it just suits us from our starting point. So, um, yeah, and and I obviously love, it's such a fascinating topic, Grass. And and it took me a long time to realise its power. (laughs) And I, I think... Have you got time for a story, Robert? Always. <laughs> well, when I did my Nuffield, I always talk about my Nuffield. It's a bit sad, really. But when I did my Nuffield, I went first to Australia, and you and I went around Australia, and there's sort of lots of you know you know when the answer is in plain sight and you can't see it, mm-hmm. you know. So when I was going around and like there's lots of people making money, and they had grass right at the centre of it. And then you go to New Zealand. Of course, New Zealand um, isn't like the UK, is it? But it is in some ways. The principles stand. And I went from the bottom of South Island all the way up to Auckland. And every day I had a farm visit, at least one farm visit. And every day I was told about the power of grass. 
And it was, and I, I still didn't get it. It still hadn't clicked. <laughs> and a, and it was the last day of the of uh, of the visit, almost at Auckland, and I stopped at this share milkers uh, farm, and he showed me round all these little paddocks on his on his dairy block, and he he just spoke about grass like he was Obi Wan Kenobi, <laughs> and you know he had he sort of spoke with a, a deference about grass and grassland management and how you know all these facts he was he was just spitting facts all the time at me about what he does why he does it and because of his actions how he benefits and how he benefits significantly and you know one thing was in the Waikato where he was he as a dairy farmer that had paddock grazing was growing 18 tons of dry matter and a sheep farmer down the road in similar circumstances was set stocking and growing nine tons of dry matter. And that is, a, and when you are a new entrant and with very little money and you try to make a go of it in farming, you know, just by management, you know, I, I, I am sure it's an exaggeration, but doubling the amount of dry matter, the grass that you can grow, and all these benefits in terms of quality, you know, it's it's such such a powerful thing. And I came away thinking, hang on, and it's again, it's an absolute exaggeration, but the principle is close to something, something tangible, is that you know, if you can double your production and half your costs, that is such a you know, for a new entrant farmer, for a first-generation farmer, try to make it, try to get somewhere with his business. That is just such a prize. And even if you got halfway there, you know, that yeah. is that's so exciting. Yeah. So it's, it's where you start from, Robert, is what, <laughs> is what I'm saying. The one we hear quite often, you know, I suppose on actually on where you start from, in a lot of ways, the, the first generation or, or, yeah, the first generation farmer has got the most challenges, but they've also got a clean slate. You know, you're Absolutely. starting with no no family tradition. You've not got a, you know, your grandpa was the best Charlie breeder. He brought limmies into Absolutely. the country or all that stuff. You can do whatever you, you can plough your own furrow. So Absolutely. I think we, we flag it up as a thing where it's a, it's a negative and it's difficult and it definitely is and hats off to anybody who gets into this industry because it's it, it is tough but also i think we need to dove caps to the guys that do make changes or or, or are successful in established businesses as well because i that's, think that's the hard, i actually yeah. think that is the hardest thing robert i think it's so i can i can do it very easily and it's it was it was a real realization quite long ago that I'd much prefer to be a first generation farmer. You know, there's a freedom to being a first generation farmer, absolute freedom. And that's exciting. And it makes it, I'm not sure if it makes it more fun or not, but I think it, it's bloody fun because you can just, you can just, you decide. And the worst case scenario for you is you go bust and your neighbors will say, we told you it wouldn't work anyway. Yeah, that would be unfortunate. That would be unfortunate. But, you know, the, the expectation to start with... There'll be a party. Work. There'll be a party, Robert, I guarantee <laughs> yeah. you. And a cheap tenancy. Um, 
but no, it's you know the. I think probably as an industry, we're we're not very good. We've got. I think we've we've got a crisis on the horizon when it comes to the next generation. Who's going to take this on? Who's going to be the farmer of the future? And we're really really bad at telling people that farming's actually quite a good way. It's an excellent. I hate when people say it's a way of life. It's not about the money, but it's an outstanding way of life. You know, we're now and I'm now in that position where we've got babies and things happening and it's a, a great place yeah. to bring kids up. It's a great, you know, there's so many positive stories, but we spend most of our time telling people it's rubbish and it's hard yeah. work and it, there's no money in it. And we, I mean, we see guys all the time who are in their 70s and 80s worrying about retirement because farming's all they've ever wanted to do. Yeah. But they've spent the 50 years before that saying it's rubbish. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, well, yeah, but do you think? Do you not think there's a sort of new wave? Like Cami is part of the is you know Cami Wilson is one of the people and Instagram. I've just recently joined Instagram, and there's so many cool farming people on it, <laughs> and you know, young, enthusiastic. It's like I mean, wow. The the other one I think that's outstanding is there's there's dozens of them, but I think Tom Pemberton is an an amazing. Yeah, I've watched a few things of Tom. Yeah, yeah. I think he should be. Maybe we should. I should keep him for stock talk rather than for the pasture pod. But he's um, he's a great guy, and and they they tell. I think the important bit is the they don't sugarcoat it. It's warts and all. You know, here's here's the good stuff, and there's more good stuff than bad. But here's the bad stuff as well. Um, But I think I think these guys are they're so important because if they weren't there the establishment you know the the average farmer isn't i don't think any of us are really doing our bit to really fly the flag for this as a as a genuine career and i know a lot of people both on the professional side but also on the farming side who are actually making pretty good money good livings nice way of life in or around farming are they killing themselves doing it or not some of them are, yeah. You know, certainly that's yeah. Actually, the time and your recent podcast um, series on time, I think, was so. I did feel like what listening to that. I was you were talking directly to me about all of my flaws. Well, it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's um, <laughs> it's good. I'm pleased it did because it did it did alter my kind of business performance for about a week. <laughs> So, <laughs> Great. What but, are your flaws? Oh, I shouldn't be asking. Oh, that. No, that's, I don't have enough time. <laughs> I don't believe um, that. Actually, the, the thing about the about time, you know, are they killing themselves doing it? There's a major risk, no matter what part of the industry we're in, that that's the kind of default setting is. Yeah work until you're done and and yeah. it's a very fine balance because the, the guy who doesn't work hard is very unlikely to make it yeah you know the hard work does pay but how do we how do we strike that balance and i think for you and i as well that balance and i know a lot of people listen to this will be the same with additional sources of income other businesses diversifications cami wilson for example you know you've got you're farming, you've got the sheep game stuff, you've got so many plates in the air. That work-work-life balance, as I kind of talk about, is a, 
is a challenge to keep. Yes. For me, my my salaried employment is my main priority. So that's the one everything else has to rotate round about. Yes. But how how we balance that family life, social life, and an additional business into that. You wouldn't need to be the biggest farmer in the world to knock your pan in and kill yourself at work at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's interesting. But then as long as your relationships, like family relationships are good, it's I, I just, you know, you, you're dead right. You've got to just, you, you're dead right about you have to work hard to make things good. But you, there is a line. There's a line where you, and and it has it's okay to work ridiculously hard for a wee while, but if it's constant, then your relationships that build your life, that support you, that are foundations of your life, start to sort of weaken a wee bit. So mm-hmm. um, I think that's also important. My father was actually a GP. Um, so he was a doctor who came to do a home visit. He was associated with his brother's business at home and then working as a GP, came to see a patient with a sore back. The patient with the sore back was about to leave the industry and dad, to say he bought a farm off a patient makes it sound as if it was a bit dodgy, Um, but he did it through all the appropriate legal means, no conflict of interest, bought a farm in 1992. I thought you were going to say it was about a week back. I know, (laughs) no, I'll leave the jokes to you. From that, so what he then did was put his head down to, there's three of us, he paid for a farm, he paid for, a, I suppose he bought a house really and, and ground, he put his head down when I went to school and he lifted his head when I graduated basically, and really? there's, a, there's a picture I've got, or a picture mum's got in our filing cabinet of things that mums keep, and it's of our, we were to draw a picture, of, on primary one I had to draw a picture of my family, and I drew a picture of mum my brother, my sister, me, the dog, some pet lambs and various things we had. And the teacher had asked the question, where's your dad? And I had said, he's at work. Really? (laughs) That was just the assumption. And that has kind of stuck in my mind as well as a thing that, I mean, dad actually did a great job and we were, we we did know our father, but there's a lot of people who dad's constantly working. Yeah. And our, our dad worked very, very hard. Yeah. Um, how da, how do we how do modern dads who probably are expected to do a wee bit more how do we or and also expected is the wrong word want to do exactly it's the, I was going to say it's priority isn't it? it I think you're more likely to prioritize well you're you will have different priorities to your father I will have different priorities to my father things do change and priorities be, sort of get clearer or weaker or whatever. It's point of balance. I think, though, on the About Time series, I think you're the first person that's really properly, I mean, time's a huge subject, you've probably fully scratched the surface of it with the issues of time and the priorities. And the. And I think it's one that, regardless of what, even what industry you're in, I think everyone should listen to that Six episodes, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it really is. There's some great folk on it, and everybody will take something away from listening to that. You know, there's there's something in it for everybody, whether it's changing your system, changing your lifestyle, whatever it is. And the main thing is keeping yourself right. You know, there's, 
yeah, this is getting very deep and meaningful, I suppose. So, I love it. I love it. But cows. Um, what we need to talk about? <laughs> your system has evolved, I suppose. All systems evolve. With too many sheep, now you've got less sheep, and now you've got different ruminants on farm. What was the drivers for that? What was it a problem or an opportunity? If you like, was it a too many sheep? Was it a problem or was the cow thing? An opportunity for. Hey, it wasn't. It wasn't a negative. It wasn't a negative driver. The sheep. I mean, I always wanted cows. To be honest, Robert, I just, I just, you know, first of all, I still don't have a tractor. So, <laughs> uh, you know, because I was always told, um, uh, flesh not metal. You know, uh, mm-hmm. you know, as a as a new entrant, it's you, your capital allocation is an absolute driver of how well you do. So, I didn't want to spend it on depreciating rust. I wanted to, you know, have animals. So, but that then, you know, having cattle without a tractor is a real challenge, and also it's the amount of money to get in. You know, it just seems such a it just it always seemed too difficult. So I um yeah, so I suppose the uh, I, I have formed a really good friendship with my neighbor uh who is from who has who built and sold a tremendous business in the oil and gas field and bought an estate and he, <laughs> I mean, we make a great partnership because Darren has money and I don't. <laughs> <laughs> and he has a Manitou and I don't. But what I do, I suppose, have, I tell Darren this, but I secretly I'm, I'm an imposter, but I suppose I understand a little bit more about farming than Darren does, although he is learning very quickly and will be. So... He wanted cows as well. In fact, I think our Dargy estate is one of the first um, names in the herd book of the Aberdeen Angus. I'm not That's sure. It. I may be wrong on that, but uh, they, there's a big tradition on his estate for uh, cattle. Anyway, so, um, so yeah, we bought a few. I think we bought, was it 20? Yeah, we just bought 25 bullying heifers or something from Charlie and Andrea Walker. At Barnside, and okay. uh, we've got no sheds. Uh, we have do have uh, a lot of green hill. So, mm-hmm. so, um, and of course, with the you know grazing management, and you know, if you see too big a field, you get tight chested and want to you know you want to subdivide it with something electric. Uh, I just felt that, you know, the superpower of a suckler cow is converting relatively poor forage into protein, uh, one way or another. And uh, the pro- if you've got the right genetics, they can do well in that. So we thought the genetics were right from Charlie and Andrea. And, yeah, it's we've just sort of grown it up bit by bit. It started in 2020. And uh, yeah, basically, yeah, I suppose I've paid Darren off through sales of cattle. 
Um, and we've gone again with this new land, so that's we'll, we'll do that again. And uh, I will pay them off through sales of cattle. And it's very cash hungry, but in the end, my absolute objective is to reach 65 and have something to sell so that we don't live on the side of a motorway in a cardboard box when we retire. So basically, um, building capital through suckler cows is a lot more, I suppose, a lot less risk than building capital through sheep, I would say. Uh, I think uh, you can sell cows more readily, I feel. And uh, so, yeah, so we're, it's all forage. We do have to feed some silage, but not a lot. We went, you know, it was a mild winter, but we went from November to uh, to the end of February without any silage fed, just deferred grazing. I mean, it's the problem is when you've, the problem is it's easy when you've got small numbers and you're block grazing a big hill. The Then you you don't account for the amount of time, the labour it takes to do that. Which is not a lot, but it's still per cow, if you've only got 30-odd, isn't much. So what you've got to do is do both and have a, a reasonable number and not spend very much on them. And just do deferred grass. So that's that's the plan for the new the new ground as well. That's that's what we're going to do there. It's an interesting. Throughout twenty twenty three, the Farm Advisory Service will be running a series of webinars under the Sustainable Beef Systems Project. The series features expertise from farmers and industry specialists on key management related topics, with the aim of maximising efficiency and driving beef systems forward. Topics covered will be. Outwintering strategies, weaning, health planning, grazing strategies, and maximizing fertility. For more information and to register your interest, see the show notes below and follow the QR code. And now for a quick animal health update from SRUC Vet Services. I'm Tim Geraghty. I'm a, a vet working for SRUC Vet Services out of the Aberdeen uh, Disease Surveillance Hub. So the major um, disease problems we've seen across the Scotland Surveillance Network this summer are, are largely in line with what we'd, we would expect. Um, so certainly plenty of parasites, um, particularly nematodirus in young lambs and, and coccidiosis in both ca- calves and lambs. Um, really the, the main peak of the parasite season is just ahead of us now. It's just starting now. So parasite burdens on grass will now be very high uh, and we can expect um, uh, you know, enteritis and scour to, uh, to really be holding back animal performance from here. Uh, just a wee reminder, there is government support for doing uh, faecal egg counting to monitor for, uh, for parasites uh, where you can claim up to £250 to investigate parasite problems in young stock um, uh, and if you're uh, through the sustainable farming um, initiative and uh, please look into that if uh, if that could be relevant to you. Um, 
lungworm is also coming into its peak season. So the next eight weeks, we'll see the peak lungworm cases. So any new cough in, in animals at grass, particularly cattle, uh, please contact your vet and, and remember to think of lungworm. Uh, and certainly carrying a lung, lungworm burden around the year is uh, ill-advised and should be treated uh, as soon as possible. And we are also experiencing very high numbers of sheep scab across Scotland. So please be watching out for uh, itchy sheep. Um, and be sure to call in your vet. And again, there is government support for uh, testing for scab if you suspect the disease, and it's much easier dealt with uh, the earlier it's detected. Um, good time of year to think about uh, weaning vaccines uh, and preparing for weaning. So in, in, in the sheep, we're probably at or very close to weaning now, so it's a little bit late to get a full course in. But if you haven't thought through about uh, giving a weaning vaccine, uh, to your lambs, there's probably still enough time for lots of us to get some benefit from a pre-wean dose. Uh, so again, speak to your vet. Uh, and the cattle guys, we have a bit longer to prepare for calf weaning for most of us, uh, but please start planning now. And, and the critical parts about uh, planning for a successful weaning are to separate stressful events like uh, weaning and housing and moving uh, and maximise immunity through eliminating other diseases. Um, ensuring adequate nutrition and, of course, topping up with a vaccine uh, in, in an appropriate time frame. You know, the deferred grazing story is really interesting. If done well, the cost you can strip out a suckler system is phenomenal. Yeah, absolutely. You, know, you wonder how there's so many, and, and we do have an issue that a lot of these good green hills, good lower-lying hill ground is quite often getting planted in a different enterprise yeah. um, but those that do have a hill like that you wonder why they also have a slatted shed you know what, what, what at some stage we as consultants were steering people down that direction to intensify and to add cost and to and it snowballed into a system that I mean if you ask anyone about suckler cow economics everybody tells you they don't pay but when you pay it back you realise they don't pay when you spend lots and lots of money on them. Absolutely. But actually, they carry a huge amount of, as you say, it's like a great store of capital. And if you can cut enough cost out of them, if, you, if your farm allows, and not every, it's important to see not every farm does allow that system, but if you can cut enough cost out of them and do a good enough job of them, then there has to be money in them. You know, yes. there has to be, um, and they also, from a, a, a subsidy perspective and things, they carry, a small herd of cows is quite a lot of livestock units as well. So if you're if, if we're playing that game, if we're doing a a alpha stocking densities and all that type of thing, you know that the the old suckler cow isn't dead in the water at all. You know, I think I, I personally think there's quite a, a pretty bright future for cows in in a lot of different you know a variety of contexts, but certainly that that hill wintered cow and then summer grazed so you, your cow oh you then rotate her on good grass through the summer yes yeah yeah in conjunction with sheep co-grazing or leader follower no. oh don't say leader follower yeah, are you winding me up i just <laughs> <laughs> i'm joking i'm joking i just it's a it's a, a persistent joke i try and make in the pod pasture pod but uh, i am I've gone to a clean grazing 
system, which is very early days. So we're, we're trying to get to a clean grazing system. So cattle one year, uh, sheep the next. And we'll try and be quite... Of course, it's going to break down because my greed will uh, be too tempted to graze this lovely field of clover on the on the cattle block with lambs. But I've got to be very careful with where I put my lambs is, is what I feel. And ewes are fine, I feel. So it's, fair, it's a wee bit of a bastardised clean grazing system in that ewes get a free pass, but it's lambs that I'm trying to avoid. And the other thing is, I think what you're saying about suckler cows, Robert, is, you know, it's fascinating, isn't it? You've seen it in the dairy sector where there's almost been a parting of the waves where one side is intensive, you know, you know, can, I suppose, all year round indoors, high input, high output. And then you've got this pasture-based system where it's very, you know, small cows, low yields, but all, a lot from grass, most of it from grass. And I think that might be the way that circular cows are going, where you can't put, you know, limousine cross charley cow, or, you know, even cementals on the system that we run would, wouldn't do well, I don't think. So we are definitely low input, low output. But uh, you've got a type of cow that can, you know, that can th- actually thrive in what we give them. Whereas you put a, a continental into that uh, regime and it would definitely not thrive. It would go the other way. So, um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I think if you're chasing, you know, you only sell a calf once and, you know, if you, your know, weight pays and all that, all those sort of sayings which have wisdom i'm not saying they don't but that also leads you down a dark could lead you down a dark avenue in terms of circle of cows because uh, as you're chasing weight as you're chasing you know turnover per calf um you're you're having to spend more and more you know trying to get that so uh, again, it's balance, isn't it? But that's my philosophy. We took a, a Faz Connect a discussion group down to see Andrew Martin two weeks ago. So Andrew's, Andrew's at Clonhee down yeah, at Thornhill. Yeah, yeah, no, no, Andrew. And uh, Andrew's a first-generation farmer as well and always corrects you if you, call, if you call him a new entrant because he, he reckons he's been at it for too long to be a new entrant. <laughs> yes, so he's now first-generation farmer. Same frustrations as, as as most, but has built a phenomenal business and a really, again, an interesting cow system where these cows get nothing. So they get, they now, and, and this is a dangerous, the journey he's been on, you have to, you have to start with things in the system and cut them out rather than start with nothing but as an industry we've we've now you know the the intensification of everything we're pre-calving bolusing we're vaccinating for a all sorts of different diseases but you know particularly scours and sheds and things and and much needed on those intensive systems but when you push cows out further and actually probably work them a bit harder but more naturally it's amazing what you don't need you know He's even now looking at the 
the two or three high mag buckets they get in a year and wondering if they're they're a requirement or whether they're a a, a bonus and you know it's amazing how and how, so with the result has suckler cow enterprise in conjunction with all these other enterprises on the farm and they rely on the other enterprises as well but your suckler cows are the best paying group on the farm is that right i can totally believe that yeah um but there's no they are the most natural group as well you know there's nothing going into these ladies at all they'll get a bale of silage in the snow or whatever you know they'll it'll treat them well but there's a it's interesting to see where that where that job's going and the job's actually going there pretty fast what so genetics you you went to barnside to get genetics yes do you think there's enough of that type of genetics out there or do you think there's a (laughs) are there enough people focusing on that type of system to feed the demand that's likely to be coming for that it's a, that's a really good question because because you got your females, then you have to have you know when a daddy cow and a mummy cow, you need both, don't you? <laughs> and when it comes to daddy cows, <laughs> I, I am I am slightly nervous about sourcing genetics because we uh, like Andrew Elliott at Blackhawk, we have a bull from. Uh, Jamie Leslie at we had two, we got two bulls from uh, Shetland at uh, Jamie Leslie's, but there's not a lot. And uh, David Ishmael at Fordle just along the road there, he does something um, we feel is is good, but the. The grazing grass-based genetics in terms of and I've, I, I, ha, I like my cattle to be black and my sheep to be white Robert so <laughs> uh, I, you know to have and, and the Angus breed is also like there's so many different you know different types within the Angus breed and we're you know I think the temptation again it's it's not greed it's just ambition to get growth rate good you you then get bigger and bigger females and that's not what we need so we're using an AI sire that is the bottom 1% for mature cow weight uh, and I know other people in my situation are, are having similar systems that are going to you know native Anguses which I yeah, I'm not a huge fan of it, but um, I worry so much that I'm tempted to have a, a few heifers of our own just to make sure that we've got something that we that is right for us, but that would end in tears. <laughs> yeah, but, be the, you'll be producing the dearest bull in the country. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, you, but, 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 and then I meet breeders that are saying, oh, yeah, we're aiming for your type of market. And their mature cow weights, I like mm-hmm. Angus because they've got such good figures, eh? You know, you know, quite reliable figures mm-hmm. um, for the things you can't see. And, uh, yeah, I, I, they say that they're breeding for our type of market, and I'm saying, no, I don't actually want you to do what you're doing. <laughs> I, want, I want something different, so. I, I wonder, I like to buy a bull, mostly because I'm quite tight, um, I quite like to buy a bull young. I would rather probably buy a weaned calf or buy something. All right. Before and you know, are we using figures to their full extent? We we'll have a good look at them. 
they're not they're certainly not the, the sole selection criteria but I think there's an awful lot for and we're not nearly as extensive we are out wintering on kale and we're you know the cows are they're outside an awful lot longer than they're inside anyway but they're not roughed on deferred grass like that because I don't have that block of deferred ground or that, that yes. block of green hill available um but I think there's a bit in the in the bull. Certainly, he's there to get cows and calve, and he's as he's first, you know, first yes. and foremost, and he's there to breed daughters. You know, getting that bull home before he's been stuffed full of feeding. I think yeah. there's, there's we've said it for decades. You know, we've known that for decades that we're wasting good bulls feeding them, but as an industry, we keep buying the ones that are. Yeah, and, and they're hard. To, you go to Sterling bull sales or, or other bull sales are available. Uh, you go and see them, and you they're an absolutely outstanding. These well fleshed, big, powerful beasts. It's hard to go buy them, but actually for yeah. the system you're trying to run, they're possibly the worst beast you could put on the place. I've never, I've never got. I mean, I totally like good stockmen that bring out the. You know, just tremendous looking stock. I've just got so much admiration for it, but it's not what I want. <laughs> it's not mm-hmm. what I want, and uh, or, or I get in trouble up, up in that hill. But yeah, I don't know. I I, I think figures look. I, I, figures are only part of it. I can't stress that enough. But you know, when you, I can't help but look at them. You know, there was there's a wee bit on Twitter the other day about you know. Ignore the figures. Stay away from figures because you know that, you know, and, and uh, yeah. But I, I've, I'm fascinated by them, and I'm really interested in uh, calving ease and mature cow weight and other things as well. Is really, it's just interesting, isn't it? It's just part mm-hmm. of it. But and the power of those figures, you know, it's so clear. You look at dairy you look at pigs and poultry you look at fish you look at every industry that's made massive progress and granted it's an output but everybody who's made huge progress has done it based on figures yeah you know yeah. The, 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 to, to say that the dairy industry is built entirely on figures is wrong because there's very good there's a need for stocksmanship and there's some outstanding stocksmen out there yeah, but the 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 biggest driver for change in the, I mean, in the time I've been working with SEC from two thousand and ten, then a ten thousand liter average was a pretty exceptional figure to have for it. You know, there was a handful of guys who were flirting with a ten thousand liter average for for Holstein cows. Yeah, everyone's doing it. Yes, you know, on, on that on that moderately intensive. You know, this this guy's grazing cows. You know, through the day, get kind of you know the yeah, yeah. cows going to grass, and they're dusting ten thousand liter averages comfortably, nice. and getting them back in calve, and their feet are better. So, I do I focus entirely on them? No, I don't. But I do. I think for us as an industry to ignore figures, it's terrifying. You know, it's yeah. they're I, there I, and, and they're there to be used whatever way we choose to use them. It's not, we're not saying we've got to use, we've got to make every decision based on them, but you've got to have a look, surely. Yeah. And just, just I mean, just pull back the curtain, have a wee look, you know. <laughs> but um, isn't it interesting? I mean, I did, I was speaking to Trevor Cook and I said, oh, I'd really like a Hereford herd. And he actually swore at me 
I said, <laughs> what the hell are you doing wanting Herefords when you've got the Angus breed that has got so much data behind it? Like, and this is an advert for Angus cattle, isn't it? But, but you know, you'll get other breeds like it, but it's just so much data that's far, that's a really reliable. So, uh, and that's, that. you know, I used to breed Wiltshire Horns rubber. Mm-hmm. And I used to performance record, and I once sold uh, a ram for a reasonable amount of money that I advertised as the top 10%. And then we did another data run because there's so few of them Someone started feeding their tups, and he went from the top ten percent to the bottom twenty five twenty five percent between me selling them. So you know, if, if it's just a small data set, you've got to be careful. I think, but but mm-hmm. you know, when there's huge amounts of animals recorded, it, you're going to get something close to the truth. But yeah, I think when you're when you're bigging up the Angus as much, it's probably the right time for me to declare my interest in the shorthorn breed. All right, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, well, don't trust the figures of them. Well, I trust them more than I trust the Anguses anyway. <laughs> no, it, you know, it's it's interesting to see actually how all of this is evolving. And actually, and, and you're right, the Angus had the biggest, it's a huge population of pure cows. They've they've gone into, um, you know, the, the figures are becoming increasingly reliable. And that's one that the, probably the, the most important bit when we're looking at any figures isn't the figure itself, it's the reliability of the figure, which is also available. Um, but I think all, all these, you know, this kind of renaissance, this, and it's not new, you know, the last probably 20 years has been pretty good for natives. But I expect with us talking like this, you know, you and I talking about it like this today and many others doing the same, I expect that story to continue. But I just, I, I do wonder and it's, it's certainly more more apparent in, in the sheep in, in the sheep world where there's a an inner circle breeding for what they like the look of and a massive outer circle of people who are trying to make money out of it. And and the the, the risk that are we all pulling in the right direction to make sure that what we've got is what we hope. Yeah, and I suppose but then you touched on it as well, is it's what road do you go down is probably the more important, isn't it? Is you yeah. know if if you trust the person that is got a system and all the animals that thrive in that system are kind of you know that system is similar to your system and then you know you know that is probably even more powerful than figures so but yeah yeah that's fair yep so I'm th- one I'm curious to know so you're quite clear that 65 is when we're your normal retirement age is when (laughs) your farming journey might come to an end (laughs) yeah well i'm a tenant you see robert so and um i mean it's not guaranteed that i get to 65 when i'm here you know Mm -hmm. Uh, but i think uh there's a possibility of us extending the lease to because we are modern, you know, it's limited duration tenancy here, not a you know secure tenancy. So yeah, so it's you know we're hopeful that we might get to sixty five, but I think that's a healthy time to stop. Although I don't know what I'd do with myself, <laughs> but I you know, um, but yeah, I think. My poor wife has had to put up with um, this farming dream of mine 
uh, and we've barely been on holiday. And uh, <laughs> and I, I do or she's actually uh, Kate's um, half Fijian, half Australian. Uh, she's lived in Hong Kong for a big part of her life, and you know, coming to Kulchakar Farm just outside Farangadani near Perth in Scotland is you know slightly different. So I do definitely feel like we're we need to travel. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's an interesting, you know. It's the, when do you stop building? When do you, and I suppose if when you stop building is when the thing starts falling apart as well, and you need to yes, take it on that extra ground and put. You need to f- have the target of retirement in your head, but farmers, if you're not going to retire, is that reasonable? Yeah, and but I mean, there's so much, you know, because it started with such a low skill base. <laughs> you know, there's a long way to get. I want my last year, year, you know, when I'm 65, my last season to be perfect. <laughs> that's what I'm aiming for. <laughs> I don't want to burst your bubble here, but I think bringing you down gently is not going to be. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> yeah. So there's lots. Yeah. There's there's lots to do. There's huge amounts to do, and you know, I've been trying to breed wool shedding sheep for 20 years, and. I uh, still have to get the shearers in. So, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, it will be, I think we'll get there. We'll, we'll be much in a much better position in 11 years' time than, than we are now, I think. I can, And you feel like there's been progress, but I'm excited what the next few years are going to bring. Yeah. So I, to, I'm kind of heading towards winding up because we could – have this conversation for the next four or five hours, but we'll try yes. and keep it concise. The two, the two <laughs> things, why not? The two things I like to ask are, what do you think the industry looks like when you retire? So what Ooh. that when you're Ooh. 65, what do you think our current kind of livestock systems look like? And, and that's a big, bold question, but you can have a think. And the other question is, what do you say to the next Michael Blanche, the next guy coming in, the next first generation farmer taking your place on? What's what's the advice to that to that new guy kicking in at that at that time? Two bold questions, two what broad really questions. Good questions on it. <laughs> so what it's gonna look like when I retire. We won't hold you to this. <laughs> well that's the thing. Any predict, prediction is going to be wrong, isn't it? But you look at the pressures, uh, probably reduce subsidy, although we've been saying that for decades and it hasn't really happened, but probably reduce subsidy. Um, I think we'll probably have less farmers, unfortunately. I think we'll have more ranching. Uh, because it's a lot of work to get, you know, and if, you know, to uh, subsidy is uh, provided a means to have systems that produce a high quality product, I would suggest if, in some respects, but you need the subs- subsidy to support that. So it's going to be, if that halves, say, that is going to be significant and and then you've got the carbon uh, pressures uh, in terms of mitigation etc so I think we're going to have a lot 
I think we're going to actually have a lot more biodiversity on farms. And I think it's going to be actually a really good thing. I go to some farms and they're like green deserts. And that's not to, I mean, that that's just because people are, are passionate about producing food and, you know, having been farming really well and tidily and, uh, you know, having great, you know, just being proud of what they have. But I think that pride is going to kind of shift a wee bit. And the more biodiversity you have on farm is going to be a good thing. And actually, I think you're going to get paid for that. And uh, I think we're going to have taller grass, unfortunately. I think the regenerative tall grass grazing thing is going to have a place, definitely. For uh, cattle and for sheep. No, God Almighty! Please don't say sheep. But, no. <laughs> but I think I think I think we're going to be more, um, more diverse in our usage of different gra- grazing management practices. Uh, I think on. On that one, on the, the regen, I'm, I'm hugely interested in organics and regen, mostly so that we can cherry pick the stuff we like and yes. build into our own systems. And, and that is often criticised from the the extremists, if you like, the people who are really super keen on it, that actually cherry picking it's missing the point. Yes. But if we can make, you know, the Scottish government's target, I think, is 20% of scotland to be organic by 2030 i might be wrong but somewhere it's a bold a bold figure like that assuming it is 20 percent, imagine we made all of the all of our farmers 20 percent more organic than they are the end result's the same yeah and actually it's much more achievable well it would be so easy yep and, and actually, last year we did it when fertilizer went through the roof. Yeah, we all we all cruised into the organic world a wee bit. Yeah, many of us went in there and thought, "Oh, this is quite hard," and came back out it. But do you know what? It's it, it is about um, finding and all this stuff. There's a lot of good. There's not a lot of science yet. There's a heap of science at the back of you know soils and soil health and things, but the actual yeah. coal face stuff. We're all learning, and I think that's we need to have a mindset where we're prepared to embrace change, but also challenge change as well. Challenge some of this new yeah. stuff. Some of it's rubbish. Yeah, you know, critical I'm, thinking. It's you know you've got to have be have critical thinking involved, don't you? It's not it's not a religion yeah. for me, but I think there's there's a lot in it that's really good. Uh, and I am going to pick. I don't care what they think. Yeah, I want to correct the <laughs> thing about some of it's rubbish, and I want to say, for me on my farm at home, some of it is rubbish. Some of it won't work. Yeah. Well, I, but, I that's but as as someone who uh, advises Robert, do you not get really tight chested about some of the things that are suggested? I've tried. You know, I've I've made compost teas and all that sort of stuff and mm-hmm. put it on and you know I've been well up for it but uh, you know to advise someone to make compost teas scares me uh, yeah. because I mean it all dies as soon as you put it out <laughs> out <Yeah>. the nozzle <laughs> yeah. but anyway it's, it's really difficult and it's, there's a lot of room forever 
I'm not saying that it doesn't sometimes work, but it's you've got to be so careful. You really appreciate how people in factories make stuff. You know, making stuff on farm is actually quite difficult, and you know, um, being sh- with you know being sure that it's going to work. I'm pleased you said that actually, because it's a wee bit of a political hand grenade. This stuff, but some of it is a worry, and and it, my, I have a worry as well when it comes to. So I I am fully engaged in the conversation where agriculture has an issue. The carbon and climate story we are in, we farm in the climate every day. You know, we, we have a lot of skin in the game here and we are involved. But I truly I don't believe we're the we're the fundamental issue here. Yeah. And with that, the regen thing where the principles are growing soils and sequestering carbon and 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 that's good for me that's good for for us it's good it it makes business sense for me it has an impact on on mitigating climate change you know as it does the story to tell but ultimately it's not going to solve the problem And, and and the bit i'm probably most concerned about in the terms of regen ag is we're convincing ourselves that this is all we need to do as a, as a species yeah. just yeah, change yeah, the yeah. way we farm the rest of it will sort itself well yeah. there's a lot of other stuff that needs to happen at the same time yeah yeah i def- the, the, the on the other side of that coin though robert is what scares me is that we're not scared enough maybe, is that we, yeah. we're not going to change we're not there's no urgency for farmers to change what we do and that then ironically makes us more um in a greater danger uh, i think i think we've got to pull out all the stops to actually um cover our backs and try and mitigate everything that we're doing at least partially at least significantly even that's certainly a whole that that's a, a topic oh, for absolutely. a three-day conference not a yeah. <laughs> not a brief web a brief a <laughs> podcast so let's go to you like the next you the well, yeah yeah a successor or a would you know what what does the next bit look like for for your your farm you're a, you're a tenant um what do we say to the next guy coming in don't change anything i've done <laughs> no that's the thing isn't it you 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 farm with your own values uh, your own opinions and what's going to be hard um, and I don't think any of our kids are going to be farming and that sort of puts you know um, but I do know someone that is really keen on farming quite close to us and then and I've thought about because he has his own opinions of what to do and and actually that's okay <laughs> even though I don't agree with him and I've kind of been burnt with similar sort of ways forward but but he could probably make it work because he's different from me you know and and that's such and I suppose the principle it's such a wishy-washy answer Robert but the principle of um I think trusting yourself well, all men doubt you, but allow for their doubting too is a really important phrase. And uh, I, and I think 
if he's got his own opinions on how things should be done, he should try that and then and then start that pinball thing where he gets some things work, some things don't, you adjust and then you reset and then you go again. And and that's that's actually the beauty of farming is that especially when you're starting off from um as a first generation farmer with the freedom to do it but lots of other constraints it, the beauty is I'm not, I don't want to say the J word the journey word but the beauty is you know it's all about the climb as Miley Cyrus said what a tremendous <laughs> so we went from Kipling to Miley Cyrus and that, that was equally, the, yeah. equal, equal in their genius Yes, different, different. It's all about diversity. I think that's the, the key. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, I totally, yeah, it's a, a hugely interesting conversation we've had. I don't know, actually, what we asked when or when we were talking about this, recording this before we came on, we were discussing what we might talk about, and I, I still don't really know what we're <laughs> <laughs> we've covered a lot of bases today and, and certainly I think we we, we did the we did compost tea <laughs> did all yeah, uh, covered an awful lot of ground I, certainly for me the, the main reason I wanted to get you on here is really I, I suppose for, from my perspective is to to thank you for the you know the pasture pod story the I, I do quite a lot of long journeys and and certainly that last one and the one I want to hit home is the the about time one is the best thing I've spent time listening to. Granted, I was driving at the same time, so I was achieving something else. But investing time in that was really important for me, really good for me. And, and hopefully there's lots more pasture pod material to come as well and, and similar kind of deep and meaningful stuff like that, not just the singing. <laughs> But yeah, well, I'll try. But that's that's interesting as well. Isn't it? Is is um, what you said is that it changed you for a week, and I, I'm sl- I can totally get that. And that was my concern was I may well I may well do this, and I think I'm doing some good. But actually, people will go back to their actual preset patterns. It doesn't. Um, yeah, it, but it's still there. I used to run the or I used to facilitate the Southwest Group for Rural Leadership. Oh so, yeah. Rural Leadership Program, a tremendous program, still running, a, a and you know a, a great use of time. But in that, so facilitating it, we did it annually, and you weren't a participant, but you were very much part of the group, part of the team. So you kind of went through the whole process with them, and every year it changed me a wee bit more. You know, yes, it, you know, you'd leave things with a snippet of new information or something that does have a it does help so i think all these things it's all building blocks you know it's all is listening to one hour is listening to one hour podcast going to change your life a no but is multiple podcasts multiple you know getting off farm speaking to people seeing different things building all that together i think you yeah it, it certainly does and i think that one for me the one what you've just finished is has been awesome so yeah. Well, was, thank, thanks, Robert. Um, At least someone will listen to it. That's good. Yeah, but no, Michael, I've thoroughly enjoyed that. Thank I you very much for your time. Hey, let's, uh, I'm going to get you on the pasture pod. Oh, I, I might crash it, though. 
(laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much for your time. That's been awesome. Okay, Robert. Thank you. If you enjoyed listening to Stock Talk, you may enjoy some of our other podcasts, such as Crofting Matters, which is a 12-part monthly show that discusses all things crofting in Scotland, including livestock management. You may also enjoy our new podcast, Agriculture, which tells the stories of some interesting and influential people in the agricultural industry. Just search Crofting Matters or Agriculture wherever you get your podcasts from. The Farm Advisory Service Podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government.